Psalms 92. It's a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked spout like, sprout like grass and the evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Debbie. You may be seated as you're being seated. Last week, I mentioned this book, Pray in the Bible. And uh, we were completely out of them last week, uh, but uh, this week we have purchased more. They're available out front. If you'd like one, just uh, help yourself. Go grab uh, one of those um, and see somebody out front to purchase one of those. Also, several of you, many of you actually, have signed up for the uh, prayer seminar that's this evening at 3 o'clock, meets in the youth building next door. Uh, You will receive uh, a notebook that looks like this. That's why there's a small charge for the seminar to cover the cost of this notebook. It has in it what I think is going to turn out to be for you some very good helps. And then as we develop uh, the prayer uh, ministry here at Grace and some additional helps. We'll simply print those, have those available for you to really build this uh, prayer journal that I hope will be able to accompany your own quiet time over time. Well, this morning we uh, are going to continue in this series on prayer. And as we do, uh, remember last week, if you were here, I talked about all the different uh, kinds of psalms. And uh, this morning, the one we're going to deal with is a psalm of praise. Uh, a psalm of praise. And so there will be times in your life when you overflow with praise, and there are psalms that do the very thing. Um, this psalm has to do with worship, and it's worshiping God when others don't. That's the underlying theme. You see, it's uh, really rather easy to come into this room when we are among friends, we are among believers in Christ, and we together as believers believe in the same God, worship the same Christ, sing the songs to him out of a united heart of adoration and worship. That's one thing. But if your wife isn't a believer, or if your husband isn't a believer, if your mom and dad don't know Christ, or your son or your daughter don't know Christ, when you go home today, you will have to worship God when others don't. Or perhaps your work environment isn't conducive to worship. 
It, as a matter of fact, draws you away. Uh, Or you've got some neighbors or some friends who, rather than encouraging your worship, may wonder why you do. Why is it that you believe what you believe and say what you say? So the premise of the psalm is to worship God when others do not. My family and I are Gamecock fans. Uh, I graduated from South Carolina. We have been so for years. And so uh, we uh, go to games sometimes, and when we do, there's 70, 80,000 people in an arena. They're all screaming. They're yelling, cheering on the team. That's easy. But take that same garnet Gamecock color and wear it into Death Valley in Clemson, and you've got a whole nother deal going. Why? Because you're going to stand out, number one. Number two, you're going to hear some not-so-nice things said to you and about you because you're in enemy territory. I've been to those games. And all the collective uh, uh, redneck comes out of Clemson and South Carolina all in one. And you just witness it there. This is what this psalm is about Not worshiping God when you've got a crowd around you worshiping God, but worshiping God when others don't. Now, I'm going to drive, dive deep into the nerdy end of the pool for a moment. So, uh, so strap on your scuba diving gear. Let me give you something about poetry. First of all, let me say, uh, an English teacher came up to me after the early service, wasn't thrilled with the, the fact that I just don't enjoy poetry. I just never have. Uh, I've, I've been a math person all my life. That was my deal in school. But, uh, but poetry, I just endured, all right? And so in school, you have these classes, you have these poems, and you have to figure out what the author was thinking and what was the background of the poem and all that kind of stuff. And honestly, even all through college, I wondered, who cares? Honestly, and and I'm sorry if this offends you. It's just where I live, and I wonder who cares. And then God calls me in his great sense of humor to be a preacher of the word, and the largest book in the Bible is a book of poems. So I have to learn to like poems. And and so this is a poem, and in poetry, uh, you may remember what meter and rhyme and uh, pentameter and all of that stuff and uh, haiku, you know, the different forms. Well, in Hebrew poetry, there's something called chiasm, C-H-I-A-S-M, chiasm. And the way chiasm works is it's a structure where you've got an initial thought. It's called A, thought A, and then there's a second thought. It's thought B, and there's a third thought. It's thought C, and a fourth thought. It's thought D. Now, the fourth thought, if there's no other thoughts, becomes the center, the apex of the poem, and you back out, and you get thought C again, and you come back and you get thought B again, and you come back and you get thought A. You may picture it like climbing stairs, thought A, thought B, thought C, thought D, thought thought C, thought B, and thought A. And so D is at the top of the steps. Psalm 92 is such a point. It has A, B, C, D, C, B, A as you read through it. And so my points of the sermon are the A, the B, the C, and the D. So here they are. Worship the Lord always. 
Worship the Lord always. Look at this. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. All right, so uh, some people say, well, what is the definition of worship? Here it is. Give thanks, sing praises, declare God's love, and declare God's faithfulness. Now, what do we learn about that? There are a couple of things. I'm going to give you one more nerdy word, and I'm done with nerdy words, I promise. Another common thing in the Psalms is parallelism. All right, this is synonymous parallelism you'll see on the screen, and it is repeated words that mean the same thing. So sometimes when you read the Psalms, you can get bogged down because you think you've got to define every single word. But here, sing praises, give thanks, declare love, declare faithfulness. It's all the same thing. That's what worship is. So so Jerry, how does that work? Let me ask you a question this morning. Uh, You guys can help me out here. Uh, Raise your hand if you have something to be thankful for this week. Absolutely. Right, we have so much to be thankful for. But all of life, if you get into this awful bent, you can forget all the things for which you can be thankful and only focus on the one or the two things that may be rattling your cage right now. Do you know what worship does? Worship gets you off the one or two things that may be rattling your cage right now and you begin to thank God. And that leads to singing praises to him. Uh, This means to sing with instruments and make noise and sing praise to him. Uh, You declare his love and his faithfulness. So all of worship is vertical. Worship is not coming in here and me patting you on the back and you patting me on the back and us telling one another how good we are. That's not worship. Worship is not about us. It is not about what you desire. It is not about what I desire. It is about a holy, awesome God who is altogether other than, greater than, more than, bigger than. That's what worship is. So this is probably best illustrated on the downside. If somebody worships something or someone else, then that's what they talk about all the time, isn't it? So how can you tell what someone's God is? Just hang around them for a little bit and listen in. And when you hang out and when you listen in, you'll begin to hear what their God is. If they worship money, everything in life is connected to money. You'll hear that. If they worship sports, it's pretty much all they talk about. They may force their kids into playing a sport even that their kid doesn't enjoy because they themselves enjoy sports so much. If their God is their work, then they will constantly go to their job in their conversation. And if God is their God, and if they are a worshiping person, they will find themselves at different parts of the day turning their hearts and minds to him. It is not worship only to come in here on Sunday morning and sing the songs. Worship on Sunday is simply an extension of worship on Tuesday and worship on Friday. Not only do you worship the Lord all the time, according to the psalm, now we go to the second expression of the same thought. You worship the Lord all your life. Look at verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. What is the imagery? 
Palm trees grow tall. They're stately. They stand out on the landscape. The righteous person, as he or she gets older, doesn't cower. He or she stands taller, and they flourish. But then there's the image of the cedar in Lebanon. Unlike the palm tree, the cedar grows out. The righteous grow tall, and the cedar grows out. The righteous stand tall. The cedar stands wide. This is the composite picture of the one who has a life of worship. Please hear me. Please hear me. If you don't sing God's songs when you're 20, you won't be likely to sing them when you're 30. And if you don't sing them in, when in your 30s, most likely in your 40s, something is not going to trigger that you ought to give thanks to the Lord and declare his morning time faithfulness and his nighttime faithfulness. So Jerry, how can I know? How can I know? Let me give you three, uh, I think, difficult questions, but good ones. Number one, do more people seek you out for wise counsel now than they did a year ago, five years ago. If you want to gauge, are you a worshiping person? Do more people seek you out for counsel now? Number two, do you give more and take less than you did a year ago, five years ago? Do you give more and take less? These are questions for reflection that certainly cannot be answered completely in this room in the confines of a minute or two. Number three, do you think of God more than you did a year ago, five years ago? The trajectory of your life will determine if you are one who worships the Lord always. Secondly, because of what he has done for us, for you, O Lord, it may be glad by your work at the works of your hands. I sing for joy, verses four and five. How great are your works, O Lord, your thoughts are very deep. The obvious reality here uh, is creation. The psalmist is writing about creation. God, your works, your thoughts are very deep. I am convinced that the reason that we have been in for years now and continue to be in a battle between the reality of a God who created or a world that somehow came into being without his involvement is this very reason. If God did not create what we see, then by extension, he does not control it. If God does not control it, then he doesn't care. And if God doesn't care, then there is no Jesus. You say, well, I'm not sure I'm convinced of that. Let's see what the writer of Hebrews says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
All right, so the beginning point of faith is to believe that all of what you see was created by a God who didn't need anything to start with. He took the invisible and created the visible. And if we believe that God can take what cannot be seen and create what can be seen, then the mess of your life poses no challenge to him. If he could take nothing and make an amazing something, he can take a messed up something and make something even more amazing with it. So let's kind of uh, prance through scripture for a moment. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the waters. Psalm 33.6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Psalm 8.3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Then Psalmist in 92 says, O Lord, your thoughts are very deep. Well, why are they very deep? I'll quote Ravi Zacharias. I wish I could get his accent, but that would be butchering. It's remarkable. He says, do you realize how complex this universe is? How intricate it is? When you look at the fact that every strand of human DNA has 3.1 billion bits of information... If I told you that a dictionary developed because of an explosion in a printing press, you would want my head examined. But there are scores of people globally who actually want you and me to believe that out of primordial slime, time plus matter plus chance, and you get the brilliance of a brain that can manufacture, write books, enjoy music, enjoy the delights of love, reproduce its kind, and have a world today in which technology is so superb. We worship God always because of his great works. Robert Knight joins Zacharias He adds, that person sitting next to you, her eyes have retinas that contain 120 million rods and 7 million cones. The rods accomplish dim vision, night vision, and peripheral vision. The cones are for color vision and fine detail. The human eye can recognize literally millions of shades of color. Now he says, here's really the astounding part. To simulate 10 milliseconds of the complete processing of even a single nerve cell from the retina would require the solution of about 500 simultaneous nonlinear differential equations 100 times and would take at least several minutes of process time on a Cray supercomputer, keeping in mind that there are 10 million or more such cells interacting with each other in complex ways, it would take a minimum of 100 years to simulate what takes place in your eye many times every second. He says, sort of gives the phrase, in the blink of an eye, new meaning, doesn't it? Wow. So we praise God for his cosmic works, but the psalmist doesn't stay there. He moves to the personal. Look at verse 10 or the counterpart, right? 
right? The bee and the bee thought, but you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. Well, that means nothing to you and me. Like I've never woke up asking God to, uh, you know, exalt my horn like that of a wild ox. What does it mean? The horn and the oil represent the wonderful personal blessing of God on him. Well, how does that happen? It brings us to our next thought, our sea thought. We're climbing the steps. Worship God always because of his great works. See, even when others don't worship. Even when others don't worship. Look at verse 7. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. It is a common theme in Scripture that sometimes the wicked prosper and good people suffer. It is common in Scripture, and it is common in life, isn't it? Sometimes bad people get away with being bad, and good people are never noticed for being good. On July 4th, Wendy Trent and I were driving to Asheville on the interstate, and as we're driving along, a car has been going too fast, and I imagine it was pulled by a state trooper. So naturally, all traffic slowed, as traffic does when that happens. So we're in the fast lane, but going maybe right at the speed limit at this point, maybe a little under, not sure. Well, a truck comes along on the right side uh, of us and a a string of other cars, uh, I guess not wanting to go as slow as the rest of everyone is, and cuts in to get into the fast lane. Right behind it is a little car wanting to do the same thing, and the little car cuts in. Right in front of us almost clips us, like so very close to us to try to get in to the lane. And all of us, Trent, Wendy, and I are talking about it. Then I said these words. Is there anyone in the car besides me that wishes we could see that car pulled by a state trooper down the road? And all of us said, that's what we were all thinking. You've been there, haven't you? Why why do you think that way? Because designed into you, we've just talked about how intricately designed you are. The imprint of God on you makes you desire justice. You want good people rewarded and bad people punished. That is built into who you are. Something in us recoils when evil goes unpunished and good goes unrewarded. All right, let's go then uh, to verse 9. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. So you may realize that the tense goes future here. All right? It goes future here. Why? Because David could not resolve the issue of bad people going unpunished and good people, go, uh, good people going unrewarded in the present tense, and neither can you. You cannot do it. Why? Because in the present tense, 
Justice isn't being served, which leads us to the apex of the psalm, which is verse 8. And this is not escapism. This is the truth for how we as believers deal with the injustice that we see in the world. The Lord on high forever. That's the top of the psalm. We have climbed A, B, C. This is the chiasm. This is the top. The Lord on high forever. And we'll climb back down and we'll look back to the top of the psalm and see the Lord on high forever. Verse 11, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Now, this week, I'm assuming many of you didn't take the time. It's an eight or nine minute video. But if you are, as many of us are now, praying through the Psalms, go to my blog, enoughfortoday.org, and look at this beautifully done video of an overview of the Psalms. It's remarkable. The Psalms are divided into four books. This section is in book, this Psalm is in book four. Book four of the Psalms is believed by many scholars to have been used during the annual Feast of Tabernacles. That feast lasted eight days. It is believed that there are, se- there are 17 Psalms in book four. It is believed that the first Psalm, which is Psalm 90, was read prior to or preparatory for. It's a lament, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And then when the feasting began, Psalm, 90 and, Psalm 91 and 92 were read, day one, which would have been the Sabbath. If you look at the heading, which is the inspired word of God in the Psalms, right? The heading, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is for the Sabbath. All right, so what in the world is the Feast of Tabernacles? It was a feast to celebrate Israel being delivered out of Egypt. Israel had no bigger story in their history. They never got over it. If you go all the way through the Old Testament, this story of rescue and delivery comes up again and again and again. And so here the psalmist says, on day one of the Feast of Tabernacles, do Psalm 90 and do, uh, do Psalm 91 and Psalm 92. Well, Psalm 90 is a lament. Psalm 91 says, when you were in Egypt, the plagues didn't touch you. Let me read verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 91. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. All right, so when they're in Egypt and God sends the plagues, Israel is untouched. But then that brings us to Psalm 92, our psalm for today. This is the psalm that started the feast that said, we're no longer in slavery. Listen to the words. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. When did that happen? 
Israel makes their way toward the Red Sea. There's a million plus of them. They go down into the Red Sea. God, by his power, he's sovereign over creation, right? Parts the waters. When they do, can you imagine the little kids? This is like Atlantis Aquarium on steroids, right? The wall of water, the fish that are kind of swimming up, and the families walking across on dry land. But no sooner do they get across the Red Sea than can be heard in the background the hooves of Pharaoh's horses. He's coming to get them. Did you see this? They look back and they see and they hear. They see their enemy approaching. They hear their enemy approaching. And for all they know, they're done. For all they know, it's over because now Pharaoh and his army, Israel isn't an army. There are a million plus families trying to get to safety. And for all they know, they're now doomed. But God waits He waits, doesn't he? And sometimes it's so awfully uncomfortable, isn't it? Why? Because the justice for those evil people, what Israel went through those 400 years, did you hear me? 400 years in slavery where good people went unrewarded and bad people built pyramids at the hands of the good people for those 400 years Israel waited. And when they thought their moment had come and the miracle of the Red Sea, here comes their enemy rushing in. It's awful. But Pharaoh and his army get into the middle of the Red Sea and the God who is sovereign over creation says, go back. Look at this. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies, Israel, now stand on the shore and watch their enemies. The wheels fell off the chariots. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The high step. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. Above who or what? the leader of the most powerful nation on the earth at the time. That's where this psalm goes. The pinnacle, the climax, the apex. The message, you, O Lord, are on high forever. This is a psalm of deliverance. That's what it is. Well, do we get to join them in that song? Meet Paul. He says yes. Ephesians 2. Listen to his song. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In case you didn't catch it, he paints not so pretty a picture of us. We were dead. 
But verse 4, two words. But God. Say that with me. But God. One more time. But God. Aren't you glad for the but God? Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that when? In the when? The coming ages. The enemy isn't defeated Yet, Satan is still on the loose. Good people suffer. Bad people still prosper. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So this morning we're going to stand. Would you stand with me now? And we are going to sing. And we are going to sing these songs that say this very thing. This is who we are in Christ. This is what Christ has done. We are going to climb those same stairs as the psalmist did and sing just as the psalmist did. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Always because of what he has done for you, even when others don't worship the Lord on high forever. Because of what he has done for you, worship the Lord always. Let's sing, let's worship him this morning.